what I wanted to do with that Pujols chapter was remind people of his greatness and just how and how dominant a player he was. And I, I think when people think about Ken Griffey, they only think about the young Ken Griffey. And at least right now, when people think about the Albert Pools, they only think about the old Albert Pools. And maybe that'll change as we get closer to his Hall of Fame and uh, induction and all of those sorts of things. But I, I do think it's kind of interesting that that people have forgotten how great Pools is. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the best podcast in baseball, brought to you by Closets by Design of St. Louis. I'm St. Louis Post-Dispatch baseball writer Derek Gould, joined this week, and I'm thrilled to say this, by Joe Posnanski, Uber sports writer, and wish me luck on this intro. He writes Joe Blogs, hosts Poscast, has a biography on Houdini, wrote for the Kansas City Star, Sports Illustrated, awards galore, and the author of one of the best baseball books, The Soul of Baseball. Now he's thrown another contender into that ring, the Baseball 100. It hits the desk with a thump, but lifts the heart as a joy to read. Joe, welcome. And how much did you have to learn about the players, knew about the players, as you set out on this quest for the Baseball 100? Oh, wow. Uh, first of all, thank you for all those uh, for all those kind words. Um, I try to speak fast. I, I like it. I, I like that. Um, I learned a lot, of course. I learned a, a ton about every one of the players that I wrote about, even the ones that I knew a, a lot about going in. I, I you know, did a lot of research and, and you know, tried to do research in, um, you know, in, in where it was a little bit different you know, than, than anything that had been done before. I tried to sort of find a, a little loose string that I could pull on that would be something different. And, and so, you know, I, I'm not to, not to right away get into the players, but since we're talking, um, the essay that I did on Stan Musial, uh, mm-hmm. just as an example, was very sort of instructive of how this book came along. I had written, as you all well know, numerous times about uh, about Stan Musial. I wrote the cover story for Sports Illustrated about him. I wrote uh, a, a blog post that sort of mm-hmm. went viral about him. I, I wrote his obit. I wrote I wrote many, many things. And and then it came to that chapter and it was like, okay, well, I've got to write something completely different from anything that I've written about him. And so uh, that was what it was like each time. The, you know, there were certain players I did not know that much about and and it was a, a much easier sort of like okay let's just I don't know much about uh you know Archie Vaughn so let's go ahead and find out the story of Archie Vaughn uh but then there were players that I knew a lot about uh and had written a lot about and and for them it, it was definitely about trying to find things that I had not uh, known before I really appreciate it in the Stan Musial chapter that you wrote uh you know he ranks in the top 10 he ranks can, can I say sure Okay. He ranks number nine. That's right. Um, And I really appreciated in that chapter that you wrote about him, how you wrote or how you described that Musial brought out the best in you. Yeah. Um, I think a lot about that just in like writing and like the moment that has to bring out the best in you, the event that has to bring out the best in you, the, the potential for a team winning a championship brings out the best in you watching Albert Pujols home run off a lidge or David Freeze home run in the world series has to bring out the best in you. Do you, do you, do you know why Musial resonated with you so much? Is it, is, was it meeting him that, that did that? Was it some story you heard early on? Was it Midwestern values? Yeah, I think it was, some combination of all of those things. I mean, certainly his greatness as a player 
which, you know, you, most people tend to underestimate, right. Mm -hmm. And underrate, right. He, he was, he was every bit the, the player in so many ways that Ted Williams was right. And, and, and I think a greater player even than Mickey Mantle was. And, and yet those guys obviously had this, you know, for whatever reason, um, you know, they're, they're, in many ways, their flaws sort of made them uh, larger than life in a way that Musial, without those flaws, uh, was not. I think some of it is that. I think some of it is that Midwestern values. And I think some of it is just there was an aura about him when you were around him, as you know, mm-hmm. uh, that, you know, there's certain players like like Musial, uh, Henry Aaron, um, you know, I can think of a few others. And then uh, people like, you know, Buck O'Neill, the person I wrote my first book about, where you don't even need to know who they are to know they're somebody. You know, there's just this, there's just this, this uh, charisma that that just that comes off of them. And and Musial being such a regular guy, and and you know, just coming coming to a table uh, in a restaurant with a harmonica and playing Happy Birthday for people. I mean, he, there was there was nobody like him, and and so. Uh, but I'm glad you brought up that point because I think it's true. I think as as writers, if if you if you love your job and take your job seriously, as I know you do, when the big moments happen uh, and you happen to be there, you know, when Albert Pujols does hit that home run uh, off of Brad Lidge, or when uh, Derek Jeter hits the home run, you know, right after 9/11, or, right. or when you're at the Olympics and some unbelievable thing happens, or Frankly, when you're writing a book like this, where you're writing about the hundred greatest players ever, I think that that you do feel like it's it's like a pressure, but it's also this lifting spirit to say, okay, I need to be my best. I, I, you know, this this is only going to come one time in my life, and I need to live up to this moment. and And I think that's the closest maybe that we ever feel to to being athletes. I mean, to being you know on the field because I think that's what they feel all the time. And sometimes when you're in the press box uh, and something really cool happens, you do get that moment where you're like, I got to be good today. I, I got to I got to deliver. I've got to I've got to make people feel like they were here with me watching this incredible thing. The, the one thing about this book that I wondered then is how much that played into every chapter, because, you know, baseball books are a lot about teams or times or individual players. And, you know, if you're a Mickey Mantle fan, there's a Mickey Mantle canon of books to read, right? right. Like, right. like the lost boy or the last boy, um, is, is one. And, you know, if you're a Musial fan, there's a canon, you could read Vessi's Musial book. Sure. Um, if you're a Musial fan, you could go to your book, but you are also going to have Mantle fans go to your book. That's you're right. going to have Ruth fans go to your book. You're going to have, um, people who want to hate read about Barry Bonds go to your book. Um, you know, it 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 is going to draw in a lot of readers who may not read all 100, but are going to read the 25 about their 25 favorite players. So what kind of, I don't know, pressure or rise to the occasion did that bring out in you? I, I thought about it literally every chapter. I, I really did. And I mean, I'm, I think as a writer, you asked that question because you understand. Uh, I literally would write the Burt Blylevin chapter and think this has to be the best whatever 3,000-word essay on Burt Blylevin that I could possibly write because there are going to be 
Burp Lilevin fans that are going to come to this page and they're going to say, "I hey, it's Burp Lilevin," and you don't want them at the end to say, "Well, that was you know, I'm glad he put Burp Lilevin in, but that was kind of disappointing. I, I didn't, I didn't feel like he captured Burp Lilevin. You know, it's 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 something I thought about all the time. And and I'll give you one quick story. You know, I this as you as you know, and, and maybe some of your listeners know, this is not the first version of this book. I I I've been writing baseball on hundreds of of some sort for a decade now, uh, trying to get it just right and and trying to frankly finish it because there mm-hmm. were a couple times I started it and didn't get to the to the finish line. And in one of the early versions, I wrote about Frank Thomas, uh, who was also in this book, but he was in that original list. And I wrote this Frank Thomas essay, and I. You know, I wanted it to be a little bit different, and I kind of talked about Frank Thomas and you know his anti. You know, he was he was very anti steroids, one of the few that was very public about it. And and I wrote a little bit about that, and then wrote a little bit about how weird it is that at the you know after his career is over, he's he's pushing this this very seemingly very shaky supplement, and mm-hmm. and and it was like if if you know and and I got an email, a very a very like. Uh, it was a very nice uh, email, even though it was critical, but it was an email saying, I was really disappointed. I'm a huge Frank Thomas fan. And, you know, I saw Frank Thomas and I got really excited. And then you wrote this and you did not really talk about what made Frank Thomas so great. And boy, I, I heard that voice in my head throughout the time that I wrote this book. I, I literally thought about it. Every single player I thought, you know, you know, that old DiMaggio slash Jeter line about, you know, every game, you play mm-hmm. your best because you know there's one kid in the stands that's uh, there at their first game. Um, I thought every every one of these essays is going to have at least one person who is that person's biggest fan, and I want this essay to live up to to their hopes for it. And I did. I really did think about that every time. I was really struck by one line, and it's you. You mentioned a few times, and I think you have in interviews and stuff that the the book zooms past Moby Dick um, <laughs> right around Ricky Henderson, which I which I like kind of the the uh, the poetry of that, yeah, the, you yeah. know, the, the the speediest player around lunges past, um, and that then like the writer has kind of claimed his great white whale by moving <laughs> beyond that. So it works on many many levels. Um, but deep within the book, there's this line, and you're talking about Oscar Charleston who you ranked fifth. Yes. And I was really struck by how you wrote, I want this ranking to make you angry. Yeah. I want you to feel the fury of this ranking. That is a, I think that's just a really powerful statement about what drove you to rank Oscar Charleston that high. Um, But also to draw attention to like, why isn't this guy talked about more? Yeah. Did you write at times with, with fury? I'd say yes. I mean, certainly when it came to some of the Negro leagues players, I think you, you know, you, you have to feel this great sense of loss that we never, you know, that, 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 that these players didn't get their due and that we never got to see these players, uh, you know, play in, in, in Fenway park or Wrigley field or, or, or whatever, the case may be the thing that I, I, I so vividly remember writing that Oscar Charleston line as I was writing it. And what, what I remember is if you look throughout the rest of the book, I'd never bring up the rankings. Uh, there, mm-hmm. there, there's no, I mean, I think at some point I do explain some of the weird quirky number things that I did with the rankings, but I never, 
talk of like like I, I it was from the very start like number 100 is Ishiro and that's a that is that's a controversial ranking i mean there are people that would say that's way way too low for for such an incredible player and there would be others who'd say no you know you look at Ishiro's war and and whatever and he doesn't even belong on the list and but the essay has nothing to do with the ranking and and i did not want to fall in that trap and you and i have had this conversation before uh about the hall of fame Mm -hmm. and how sometimes it's so frustrating because here they are the greatest players, whether they get into the hall of fame or don't to be discussed as a potential hall of famer, you are a great player. And -hmm. the guys that get one vote or no votes, but are on the ballot, they're still great players. These are guys that played a decade or more in, in baseball and, and, and had great moments and so on and so on. And yet so much of the talk, and I've been guilty of this as much as anybody can be really negative and you start talking about all of the flaws of Jack Morris or Jim Rice or 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 Larry Walker or Omar Vizcal and and that's real negative that you know it's it, that's a it's a shame i mean it's just sort of the way it has to be because because you know it's the hall of fame is such a uh you know it's it becomes such an honor and and you have to you have to draw really really uh strict lines and whatever but I didn't want any of that in this book. I, d- I did not want to say, okay, this is the reason why Tony Gwynn is ranked below Wade mm-hmm. Boggs because Gwynn didn't do that. I didn't want any of that in this book. So these essays are all about what made those players one of the hundred greatest players ever, uh, which to me is an, uh, you know, it's an unbelievable honor. I hope, um, except for Oscar Charleston and Oscar Charleston. I wanted that the, the ranking of Oscar Charleston is, the story it's it's this guy is number five he's the fifth greatest player ever he might be the greatest player ever there's a pretty good chance you've never heard of him and that's wrong and it's and 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 i want you to i want you to to challenge yourself as a as a as a fan to say hey do i believe this do i believe this guy is really one of the greatest players of all time do i not believe it and if i don't believe it what does that say what 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 am i what do I think the Negro leagues were really about? And so I wanted that to be the stirring, you know, of, of the, of the conversation. And so that was the one place that I really let the ranking uh, do a lot of the talking. I I was really struck by also just the notion of not be mad that he was ranked so high, but be mad that you are robbed of the reason why. Yeah. Like that was really, I mean, that's a profound thought. Like be be angry at the art that was lost because this person wasn't allowed to write. Be angry at the the movie that you didn't see because this person wasn't allowed to act. Be you know, it, it was that phrase like be be be, you know, have some rage because of what culture lost and the history of baseball lost because this person wasn't allowed to play on a larger stage. I, I just I was really struck by that, Joe. Yeah, thank you. I I. To me, that is the story, you know? I mean, if you go, as you have uh, on more than one occasion, to the to the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum in mm-hmm. Kansas City, you realize it is not a sad place in any way, shape, or form. It's very much a joyous place, and it very much celebrates these great players and and what they did and what they accomplished and and how they changed not only baseball but this country and 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 all of those things that that are are you know such a such an important and, and pivotal part of the negro leagues um but there is this 
sort of, uh, you know, I know you're, you're a comic book fan, so you'll know more <laughs> about this than I do, but there is this, there's, there's, there's a, there's another world here, right. Where those mm-hmm. guys did play and, you know, there's earth, whatever earth that's on earth 197 or whatever, where those guys played in the major leagues. And, we didn't get to be a part of that earth. We did not get to see what Oscar Charleston would have done against Walter Johnson or what cool Papa bell, how he would have tried to steal bases, uh, you know, against, uh, against Yogi Berra, not quite the timing, but the point being, you would not, you didn't get, we didn't get to see it. And, Mm -hmm. and it's, it's a, it's a huge gap in baseball, but it's also a huge gap in what we love about the game. And, and that, to me was the perfect opportunity to talk about sort of that, that frustration and anger that we should have that, that we were robbed of something really that could have been undoubtedly would have been very, very special. Were you compelled to rank players lower before integration as a result of it? Because if you rank Charleston that high and you know, then Mays and bonds that high, then did you also, were you compelled to do the opposite? I was not. I was not. Because I also feel like, look, you have to look at it. There, There is a scale here. If I'm going to put Oscar Charleston that high, Oscar Charleston played in a segregated league. I mean, it wasn't mm. it wasn't purposely segregated. It was it was it was the only league they could play in. But it was segregated. He did not get to play. I mean, he did play against plenty of white players in exhibitions. Um, but, you know, I felt like here's what I tried to do. And this was very difficult. And, and it's, you know, Bill James still calls it sort of the white whale of trying to, of trying to figure mm-hmm. out baseball history. I tried to figure out how good the baseball was in every era, like how, uh... how high the quality of baseball was, you know, how high the quality was in the Negro leagues, how high it was in dead ball, how high it was in the twenties and thirties, how high it was during the world war years, um, how I was in the fifties, the seventies, the nineties and so on. And then looked at the players and how they dominated their time and then sort of put those two together, right. The best you could. So the fact that I don't believe that the twenties, um, was nearly as good a baseball as the, as we played at a, I, I don't believe that at all. But at the same time, Babe Ruth dominated the twenties in a way that nobody could possibly, do- maybe Barry Bonds, uh, in the, mm-hmm you know, for a few years there, but almost, nobody could dominate them. Nobody's going to hit more home runs than entire teams, you know? And, and so nobody could dominate the game. So you put those two pieces together and try to, uh, for me, that was the idea that I came up with, with, uh, with my friend, Tom Tango, uh, who, who did the statistical uh, heavy lifting and, and <laughs> we, uh, we tried to come up with something. And, th- and this is not, I should say, this list is not the exact list that we, that we got statistically. It is shifted around a lot, yeah. but that was the list where we started. I, I kind of see this, to be honest, as kind of the Sherazad of baseball. Like this is the hundred tales you're going to tell over a hundred nights and the yeah. ranking doesn't really matter it it's it offers a backbone it offers an organization but these are just a hundred great stories and someone challenged you to tell them in a hundred days and this is what you produced <laughs> thank you that's that's how i see it i mean it really is my love letter to baseball I, I i think i hope uh it's 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 all about why i love the game 
Uh, but I will tell you, as you might imagine, I, I hear a lot about the rankings and that's good. I, I, <laughs> I don't, I don't mind. I really, in fact, I don't mind. I love it. I engage in it. I say right at the beginning, Hey, come at me. I mean, I feel like people want to be super angry about where Kofax was ranked or where, or where Bly Levin was ranked or the fact that, that, uh, Mike Mucine is on this list, but Jim Palmer is not, I, mm. I look, I think that's all not only fair game, I think that's, that's the best stuff. That's the best arguments. I mean, I, I, I want to have those arguments. I think they're really fun. And and I think that they're a pivotal part of baseball. I, in more than any other sport, I think we really care who are the greatest players ever um, over history. You know, I think in, in basketball, we care whether Michael or LeBron was or something, you know, but it's, but it, it's, it doesn't really go much beyond that. And, and in baseball, we care like, you know, when when Salvador Perez, you know, breaks the record for most home runs by a catcher, we care like it matters. And and I, I think that's really cool. As you mentioned, the, the numbers have some meaning with the rankings. And, and I may have I'll admit this. I probably have gone too far looking for the meanings behind <laughs> some of these numbers. Um, you probably haven't gone further than me. I mean, there are no, no. I, I doubt I have. No, no. There are numbers in here that I like. I listed off in there. Finally, I put like a little bit of an index at some point yeah. in the book. But there are numbers in here that 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 are that I did not list because the connections are so weird. Nobody would get them, but 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 I got them, and I they're they like they make me happy. I'm going to go on a scavenger hunt and try to find them and I'll send you an email. One that re- that I'm really, there are multiple that I'm fascinated by, you know, and of course, like, you know, Bob Gibson is 45 and Cardinal sure. fans will know why. And Jackie Robinson is 42 and Joe DiMaggio is 56 for obviously his streak. Um, I am curious if in the same way a hotel skips over floor 13, is that why you skipped over 19? Ah, good one. Yes. Not, not because the floor, I skipped over 19 for the 1919 Black Sox. Well, I That's- thought you might not want to bring in bad luck by mentioning the Black Sox. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and Shoeless Joe is not on this list. He just missed this list, so uh, which made me feel bad because I love writing about him, and I you know, mm-hmm. think he was an absolutely phenomenal player. Uh, but, uh, but I sort of feel like the missing 19 is, is the missing Shoeless Joe. Oh, I like that. I like yeah. that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Were you? Did you put Musial nine to make sure he was in the top ten? Well, so here's the deal, and and you know, so I I, I will reveal this to you. Okay. Um, up until number twenty, I I really played with the numbers. I really really did. And twenty, the reason there's no nineteen, as you know, is because there are two twenties in this book: Mike Schmidt mm-hmm. and Frank Robinson, who both wore twenty. And, and, you know, everybody other than DiMaggio, who I did move more than, than maybe some people would be comfortable with, they're all basically where they would be. I mean, you know, within a couple of, of, of spots of where they would be. DiMaggio would be a little bit higher for sure. Uh, if I was doing it straight as a ranking, um, but top 20, I wanted to, to just do the numbers, just, just how I, I saw them, how I had them ranked. And the toughest one for me was I couldn't help but think like, oh, I want Ted Williams number nine and I want uh, uh, Stan Musial number six. I like, I wanted like this sort of last, this last hurrah for the numbers mm-hmm. uh, to give them to their numbers. And I just, a- as much as I love Stan Musial, I just couldn't go that high 
uh, and I just went straight with the rankings. But he is to me, he is number nine. There's it's there's that's you know, I mean, obviously I could have swapped him with Satchel Page at number 10 or whatever. I mean, there's like different ways to do it, but I do believe he's a top 10 player. Uh, and and uh, so yeah, that is that is a hardcore, I think he's the ninth best player ranking. That's fat. There, there's a real treat in the book for Cardinal fans um, who either want to know history and happen upon it, happen upon it in the book, um, because back to back chapters there late in the book have to do with Cardinal history and actually are kind of like, no pun intended, the book ends of yeah. current Cardinal history in the sense that you have number 26, which is a number that, I, please correct me if I'm wrong, but that's has to do with the 1926 World Series because it's Grover Cleveland Alexander, old Pete Alexander. Um, for what he did in the 26th. And I thought you put so well, which is what is curiously put on his Hall of Fame plaque is what is how he's measured against the strikeout of another player. <laughs> it would be like, I think you make the, the comparison that it would be like saying like Tom Hanks once acted with Bruce Willis. Right. You right. know, on his Hall of Fame plaque, right? Or something along the like, like it's such an odd comparison for them to make. And then of course, 25, who is Albert Pujols and is the highest ranked active player. Yes. Yes. I mean, you know, I, I with Pujols, I remember there being a little bit of a, of a struggle where I was going to rank him. And I just thought, you know what? He's one of the 25 greatest players ever. I mean, mm-hmm. that's, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a number, you know, 25 is sort of a number. We think about silver anniversary and all that. The the thing with Pujols is I, I don't know. I mean, you you would have a better perspective of this than I would. I, I sense that everybody in St. Louis, even people who are too young to have really seen him play uh, at his best, has this deep, heartfelt appreciation for how great he was. And I kind of feel like everybody outside of St. Louis, particularly as you go west, um, kind of knows it in the back of their heads, but. He's been so, you know, his contract has been the story for mm-hmm. a decade and he's been so disappointing in, in so many ways. And then, and then we reached a point where it realized it wasn't even disappointing anymore that this, that he had just declined to become this player. And, and I don't know. I mean, I, what I wanted to do with that pool holes chapter was remind people of his greatness and just how, and how dominant a player he was. And I, I think, I think it's, it's to me, there's, again, I, I think you'd have an even better perspective on this than I would for having covered him for so long. To me, he's like the anti Ken Griffey in that mm. they had similar, you know, incredible first 10 years of their careers. And then both really fell off after they left, um, you know, Griffey leaving Seattle and, and Pools leaving St. Louis, and they really fell off. But when people think about Ken Griffey, they only think about the young Ken Griffey. And at least right now, when people think about the Albert Pools, they only think about the old Albert Pools. And maybe that'll change as we get closer to his Hall of Fame and uh, induction and all of those sorts of things. But I, I do think it's kind of interesting that that people have forgotten how great Pools is. I wonder how much of that has to do with his absence from October and if yeah. that might change now we're recording this before Game Five, so his season could be over with um, right. within a few hours. But you know it, it, he's back on the October stage, even as a part-time player, but really was largely absent from it 
um, and you can push back on this if you if you want. But even the one time he got to the the postseason with the Angels wasn't exactly prime time, no, because he was playing against the Kansas City Royals and, and got swept. I think and got, got swept. swept. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it wasn't exactly like featured presentation time on TV either. No, and and you know it's it's it, you're right. I mean, look, I think October is big for him on a couple of levels. One, of course, he had so many amazing October moments in St. Louis and, and he hasn't had any of those with the, with the, and literally has not had a single one. They haven't won a single playoff game since he got there. Um, so, so I think that that's one, but also you're right. Just his presence. It's like he steps on the field in October and you will hear Joe Buck and John Smoltz talk about, you know, there's the legend, uh, Albert Pujols, mm-hmm. And, and that never happened because he just didn't have any October, uh, time. So now it is happening now. I mean, if the Dodgers do win tonight, uh, that'll continue on maybe all the way to the World Series. Maybe maybe Fox will just go ahead and say, hey, there's the number 25 player of all time, Albert Pools. Um, but but, you know, I think that that is uh, you're right. I think that has been a big part of why I think people have forgotten how great he was. I wonder, and I want to kind of close our conversation with this, that like Albert coming in at 25 um there like i said the highest ranked active player you know i don't know if you have a sequel plan for this i know you're working on the nfl and then there are other sports open up to it um but in some ways like if you saw this as a living ranking sure you know and do you see like some of these players growing in the ranking like for example i don't know I guess the question would be how long ago you wrote the chapter, but I wonder if you look back at this and go, well, man, Max Scherzer yeah. might be top 50, you know, like you right. think about in those terms. And I wondered how much you saw kind of the, the living 100. Yeah. I, well, I do see it as a living 100. And, and I, and I have to say there are certain players who, if I had written it even a year later mm. might've made this list and they, somebody like Zach Greinke, who, you know, has not been, you know, overwhelmingly great the last two years, but has been good and has added to his value. Uh, a guy who I think very well could have made this list had it, had I written it right now is Joey Votto, uh, yeah. who was so close to making it already. And then he had this wonderful renaissance season this year that I, I feel pretty strongly would have put him over the top. So, Yes. You know, but I also think a lot about what, what this list might look like in five years or six years, seven years. And is Juan Soto on that list, you know, right. at that point. Right. I mean, there's there there are, uh, you know, Fernando Tatis, or Ronald Acuna Jr. They can stay healthy. Uh, and then I also think about guys that I would have if, at the moment I wrote it would have said, oh, you know what? In five years, Fernando, uh, uh, there, I mean, uh, Francisco Lindor will be on this list. And then and then Lindor, you know, has a has a disastrous season with the Mets. So, so, you know, it's so hard to predict what's going to happen, but there's no question uh, that it is a living and breathing thing. And I, and I, you know, will tell you confidentially, even though you'll, we'll put this out there. So it won't be confidential at all <laughs> is, is I do think my, you know, I am writing a football uh, countdown or a football one Oh one right now on my, on my uh, uh, newsletter at joeposnanski.com, my Substack. And, and I'm loving it. I'm totally enjoying it. But I don't think that's going to be my next book. I, I really think there's something I want to say about baseball 
that believe it or not, in in 900 pages, I wasn't able to say and in this book. So uh, so I actually think my next book might be very well be a baseball book and might have some of these some of these things that we're talking about. That's fast. I mean, the, the, the whole book, I, I, I read it with such interest because I heard such echoes of other players, like even in reading the musical chapters, you list some of the things that he led through a modern lens. Yeah. It's like, Oh, you know, Votto did a lot of that. Yes. Um, you know, when I was reading some of the like performances of maze, it's like, Oh wait, I, I see, I see elements of not say one player who's doing that, but certainly elements of the modern player doing that. And I, I appreciated that so much as it was like, it was an allusion to the modern game without, outright saying this is a this is a modern guy who's also doing this which i i I thought it was really well done thank you yeah i mean i it was definitely what i wanted to do i mean i i feel like that's that's sort of part of the magic of baseball you know i did write something uh, a couple of last week or whenever it was when randy rosarena stole home and how instantly i thought of jackie robinson we all did i think we all did i think baseball does that like nobody else and so yes you're writing about Honus Wagner, but in some ways you're also writing about, you know, Cal Ripken, and then you're also writing about Derek Jeter, and then you're also writing about, uh, you know, Carlos Correa. I mean, I just feel like it just, it, it all comes forward. And, and I think that's part of why we love baseball. Was there a eureka moment for you when you settled on your top three? Ooh, um, no, not a eureka moment. What I once I ranked them, I said that's it. I'm I'm not going back. And and I might I might, you know, panic and 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 <laughs> think, you know. But I knew when I when I ranked them, you know, which was months before I finished the stories, uh, and obviously more than a year before the book came out, I knew that the, that top three was going to. I knew that people were not going to be thrilled uh by who was number one versus number two and i knew that nobody was gonna like number three so so i was well aware of of where that was going but that was uh that was where i ranked them I, would you like to reveal i learned something new because i had thought that ruth might be ranked number three because of the number he because of the number yeah yeah and that was so. that was i was tempted but then i thought because i've of, i'd already decided that everybody in the top you know, 18, I guess, not top 20, top 18 would be ranked straight. You yeah. Know, no, there's that, that it would be a cop out to put him in number three and then tell people, yeah, no, no, I it just, I just gave him his number. I thought at that point, look, people are going to want to know is Willie Mays better than, do you think Willie Mays is better than, than Babe Ruth? Uh, and, uh, and I, I said, you know, and I don't know that the other thing about these rankings is, are, as you know, I don't know that I'm saying this player is better than this player. That's not exactly what it is. What I'm saying is that for me, Willie Mays is the greatest player of all time. And, and Babe Ruth is the second greatest and Barry Bonds is the third greatest, which is going to really, really make people mad. And Henry Aaron is the fourth greatest. And, and that's, you know, it, it would have been super easy and convenient to put Henry Aaron above Babe, uh, Barry Bonds. So, so that people wouldn't yell at me. Um, but that's just sort of the way that I saw it and, and the way that, that my, my research and my, uh, statistical efforts and everything else, that's where they put them. And, and, uh, and, uh, and I feel okay about it. I really do. I'm glad I had this chance to talk to you. Cause when I was flipping through it and I got to the end, I'm like Ruth second. Oh, that's a bit of a plot to it. Like I was prepared for maze to <laughs> right. be one. 
Um, and I, I did not read the book literally. I'll, I'll admit that I, I, I hunted and packed for favorite players sure. and favorite stories well, and should, yeah. Cardinals and things like that. And I, you know, it's, and, and then I got to the end and I'm like, okay, Oh, wait a minute. What? So it was a sixth sense plot twist there. Um, <laughs> I, I like that. I like yeah. that. I was, I was definitely going for something where you just didn't realize something all along. Well, I want to close our conversation by bringing back to a couple of things that we talked about, but also the, the bonds question that weighs heavy coming into this off season is his it's his last year on the hall of fame ballot um number 24 on the list is of course one of the greatest to ever wear number 24 um griffey wore other numbers so perhaps that did not earn him the right but so did this guy um but ricky henderson who for my money you could make a really good argument is in that top five top 10 area when you depending on how you look at it. And you prompted me to finally i i think a, i think there's something about baseball in 90 feet like the 90 feet you take that you're not given yes and the 90 like both on defense and offense um and so i i was like uh, this morning i was like i'm gonna finally do this so i i added ricky henderson's total bases his walks and steals together yeah um all the 90 feet essentially that he took and he is right there behind hank aaron when you add up all those numbers hank aaron the all-time total base leader has 8498 90 feet taken Ricky Henderson, 8,184, wow. 90 feet taken. Yeah. Um, curiously, Cobb has an even 8,000. Wow. Bonds, to bring us back, 9,048, <laughs> 90 feet taken. I mean, it's just not close. Yeah. yeah. And within the Henderson chapter, you asked this question because you point out the people who didn't vote for Henderson, right. that first ballot. And you said, why would you want to go through the rest of your life knowing you didn't vote Ricky Henderson into the Hall of Fame? That that question is one that I asked with Ken Griffey Jr. Yes. Because there was some gaming of the ballot, right? Right. Do I give a vote? Do I not give a vote to Griffey who's going to go in on a Pegasus into the Cooperstown and off to immortality? Do I not give a vote to him so that I can vote for somebody else? Or do I join the chorus of acclamation? And I wanted to join the chorus of acclamation because I didn't want to live knowing that I didn't vote for him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, we we could have a whole other podcast and, and maybe we will someday uh, talking about some of the frustrations we have with with the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we both love the Hall of Fame and 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 uh, and take it very seriously. But, you know, I think the fact that they do have the limit of 10 is uh, and I know you're you're. Uh, yeah, you've actually come up with some some very very good ways of of getting uh, around that. I, I think it's a, it's bad, and it it does create this idea of gaming the system a little bit. And 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 okay, this person I know is going to get in, so maybe I'll give my vote to this person so I can keep them on the ballot. And and we shouldn't be doing that. We should just be voting who we think the best players are and who we think should go into the Hall of Fame. But I do think a lot about. Um, that I do think a lot about, hey, you know, there's a reason that we vote for the Hall of Fame. I mean, obviously, it's, it's an honor for us to do that. Uh, we've been asked because of, of, of how long we've covered baseball. And and I, you know, despite what some fans might think, everybody I know and, and everybody I'm sure you know takes it very seriously and, and, mm-hmm. and puts a lot of, of their heart into making these choices, whether you agree with them or disagree with them. They put a lot of their own heart and their own feeling into these choices. 
And I do not understand wanting like these all-time great players. I want, you know, I want my signature on that Declaration of Independence. You know, I want, I and I want it to be huge. I want it to be John Hancock's size when Ken Griffey Jr. goes in the Hall of Fame, when Chipper Jones goes in the Hall of Fame, when when Derek Jeter goes in the Hall of Fame, when Mariano Rivera goes in the Hall of Fame, um, on and on and on. I want to be a part of that. I, you know, I want to be a part of that chorus that says, yes, this was one of the greatest players ever. And I do not want to be one of those people that is sort of left out and, and said, yeah, well, I really wanted to keep somebody on the ballot. Okay. You know, that's, I I get it. It's, I'm not saying that's wrong. It's not wrong at all. I just don't want to be that person. I think. Do you think that the last year and maybe conversation that's you know comes from your book that spins off your ranking of him as number three is the gust to to get bonds in i just don't think that i don't think it's a big enough gust i think there will be a little bit of a gust um but what is what is he he's like 15 20 percent short of, yeah. of 75 and that's he's just i just can't see him getting there i can't see clemens getting there uh, what's going to be interesting to me is see where a rod and, 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 mm-hmm. uh, David Ortiz, uh, you know, obviously very different situations, but, uh, are, are, will they, will they sort will all boats rise or will they get, you know, knocked down for a year while we wait to figure out what's going on? Meanwhile, you've got the weird Kurt Schilling thing going on and you got to figure he's going to get in. But, but again, it's like, who knows? It's, it's really weird. And it's, and, and it, it, it reminds me of, you know, this book has been so much more successful than I thought it was going to be. I'm so excited about it, but I'm also so like curious how a book like this could be a New York Times bestseller and 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 be you know this 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 thing that has become mm-hmm. you know really a, a part of the of the conversation. And I think it's because I think we're just tired of talking about, oh, the steroids and talking about, you know, whether players are are, you know, good enough people to be in the Baseball Hall of Fame and and all of that. I think people just want to talk baseball a little bit more and that not to underplay any of that other stuff. You and I have spent, you know, as many words as anybody on Earth writing about steroids (laughs) and the other things. And and we and we'll continue to do so. But. But I think that there is sort of an exhaustion and it's like, uh, I mean, there's a part of me that's so happy that this is the last time around for Bonds and Clemens because I'm Mm -hmm. so sick of the conversation. But there's another part of me that goes, you know what, they don't get in, they're never getting in. And, and, and it's, uh, you know, that's, that's very frustrating to me as a guy that thinks they both belong in the Hall of Fame. So. Anyway, that's sort no, of a pre- way of saying that. Yeah. No, no. And and your book has such a positivity to it. And I, I think it speaks to maybe even on a, on a recent scale, why Adam Wainwright resonated with so many viewers yeah. Yeah. because his joy for baseball. I mean, look, like one of the, one of the books that like just fills me with helium is your book, the, the soul of baseball. And it could be called, you know, the joy of baseball because that book is just filled with, such great reasons to adore the game sure. despite its flaws. And, you know, a lot of times you're right. I mean, we, we, we've talked about this a lot um, here is, you know, the game get, can get bogged down in negatives. I mean, the, look, three for 10 is great. There's seven negatives out there yes, to true. focus on. It's that's just true. how baseball is. And I was telling a story about how in 07, um, you know, the Cardinals come to spring training as, as world champs. And there are just a few reporters there. 
right? Detroit comes to spring training as the team that lost in the World Series because of pitching yeah. errors. And so there are dozens of cameras there to record PFP. Yep. I mean, that's yep. that there it is. We what are we focused on? The team that won or the negative of the team and how they lost? I mean, I, I think it's such fascinating and there's such joy in your book. And you beat me to the punch by saying it's a New York Times bestseller. I was gonna close with that. So oh nice. Congratulations. Congratulations on that. It's so awesome. It's it's so great to see a, a friend achieve this and get the attention. Um, congratulations to all of it. But I, I, I agree with you. I think there's some joy, um, but joy comes through stories. And I hope baseball doesn't lose its stories. Exactly right. I, it is a game of stories. And, and you know, that was that was what I truly believed when I wrote it and uh, and what I truly believe going forward. It's it's baseball. You know, as as long as people are telling stories, people are you know the game is gonna is gonna go on. And and when you stop, when you forget that's what it's about, then then I think it it, it loses a, a great deal. And and so, um, yeah, thank you. It's uh, it's uh, obviously really exciting for me to to uh, to see something that you work very hard on uh, become a success. It's obviously great. That is Joe Posnanski. Host of the podcast, writer at Joe Blogs, joesposnanski.com, a Substack newsletter. You can subscribe there. Um, again, joeposnanski.com, Joe Blogs. He's author of The Soul of Baseball and the new New York Times bestseller. Two weeks on the bestseller list, correct? That's right. Two weeks on the list so far. It's amazing. It's And it's so deserved. Um, the Baseball 100, a book thicker and better and more joy to read than Moby Dick. <laughs> It's, 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 it, look, I think I'm not saying that for a blurb. Schools, yeah, I'm not saying all schools should assign it to their classes, but yeah, all schools should assign it to their classes. I, I think every library, I'm putting it beside my my desk here, right by the uh, the amazing Spider Man bound volumes <laughs> that I have. I'm serious. I'm putting it I right there. It. It's going to be a resource for me that I'm going to go to. It's it, it's going to be chicken soup for the baseball fan's soul. Just. <laughs> You know, with a hundred different t stories to tell. Joe, thank you so much for joining me. This is a joy. I always enjoy talking baseball with you. I miss um, you being in Kansas City where we could run into each other a little bit more often. But thank you so much for taking this time. Thanks, Derek. The New York Times bestsellers, The Baseball 100 by Joe Posnanski, just a sheer colossal feat of baseball writing and writing in general is available anywhere you get your books, including independent bookstores all around. Find it anywhere you can find your books, especially at an independent bookstore. The best podcast in baseball is available anywhere you get your podcasts, including stltoday.com, where you can find the best podcast in baseball and all of the previous episodes, plus all of the Constant Cardinals coverage. BPIB can also be found, say, on iTunes, where you can subscribe to the podcast. Subscriptions make the sponsorships possible, and sponsors make the podcast possible. So, too, do your ratings and reviews of the podcast. Help us know the direction we're going in, because BPIB doesn't exist here in, what, year 9? approaching year 10 so a decade of bpib doesn't exist without the community that has grown around it and hopefully has a product that it can shape and has been responsive to the people who listen to the best podcast in baseball imagine your home totally organized closet by design of st louis can help you get organized with 40 percent off plus an additional 15 percent off and get free installation call 1-800-b-y-d-e-s-i-g-n see 
Threw you a curveball there to see if you're still listening. 1-800-BY-DESIGN. Get organized with Closet by Design of St. Louis. Update your closets, garage, office, pantry, and more. Closet by Design of St. Louis, the official sponsor of the best podcast in baseball. Had a little bit of a wrinkle in the schedule here. But we'll return with a summary of the 2021 Cardinals season, talking about what just happened, the loss in the wild card game, and what's ahead for the Cardinals. Stay tuned. Stay healthy. Talk to you soon.